This sermon is brought to you by Shofar Christian Church. We hope that you will be blessed by this message. Our audio and video sermons are also available on Shofar TV to download and share. We're finishing the last series on becoming a laborer. And this is sort of a combination of three or four sermons that we've done in the morning and the evening. So I'm going to refer to some of them. If you are going away on the holidays, please remember we have streaming so you can go back to these sermons, go and study. Don't veg in front of the television. You know, get into the Word, get into learn, and to come, you know, on track with where God is leading us also as a church. So, so we've done a series in the morning on deception. So I'm going to cover some of those things tonight. Um, and finish this series on being a laborer. So our theme scripture is where Jesus sent out the 70. We find it in Luke chapter 10. And I'm going to just highlight, just look at it from a different angle a bit. In Luke chapter 10, he sends them out. We looked at the, the intimacy of which Jesus sent out the 70. And they were not equipped really in a sense. He just sent them out. And um, I'm going to read verse 1. After these things, the Lord appointed 70 others also and sent them two by two before his face into every city and place where he himself was about to go. And then he said to them, the harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray that the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. He says, the problem is not with the harvest. The problem is with the laborers. He says, go your way. Behold, I send you out as lambs among wolves. Carry neither money, bag, knapsack, nor sandals, and greet no one along the road. But whatever house you enter, first say, peace to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest on it. If not, it will return to you and remain in that same house, eating and drinking such things as they give. For the laborer is worthy of his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whatever city you enter, they receive you. Eat such things are set before you and heal the sick there and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near you. Um, what, a, what an amazing moment when Jesus sends out this first 70 on the mission trip, their first mission trip. He sends them to places where he's going about to go. He sends them face to face. He looks them in the eyes and says, hey, I want you to go. I want you to go. You know, this week we're sending a team to Burundi, to India. In June, we're sending teams all over the world. If you want to still enroll for that mission, do that. But right into every different nation, more than 20 different nations. In June, young people just go and say, Lord, we want to respond. And so Jesus sends them in this place of agreement. He he tells them a couple of things, and it's so important that we know that because a lot of Christians today, they don't know that they've been sent. They, they think, well, I'm just here passing through Mr. Bean. I'm going to maybe make it, and then one day, oh, hopefully I'm going to make it to heaven. But you've been sent on an assignment by God himself. You are not from Stellenbosch, even if you grew up in Stellenbosch. You are sent from the kingdom of heaven. You're a citizen of heaven. And what a privilege to represent God. So some people think like, oh, I'm a Dachbrecher. And I'm a Christian in Dachbrecher. No, you are a Christian. Point. And God has placed you in Dachbrecher to redeem Dachbrecher for the kingdom. And that's why he says, when you go, say the kingdom is here. Heal the sick there. He said, these signs will follow those believe. In my name, you'll heal the sick. You'll cast out demons. You'll raise the dead. There will be signs and wonders following those who follow Christ. And so what an assignment, and they come back, and they're so excited, and then Jesus says, hey, don't rejoice because the demons are subject in your name, but rejoice because your name has been written in the Lamb's book of life. Rejoice because of your salvation. You know, sometimes we get so complicated as Christians, and we, we want to go more deep into this and deep into that, but the moment when you lose the joy of your salvation, you are in trouble. Sure. 
So Jesus goes on. Jesus taught them a lot. And so I want us to look at some of the signs of the last days. And we find that in Matthew 24. Matthew 24, Matthew 25 is not the easiest scriptures to read in the chapters. But Jesus told us these things. And he says, you must learn through the signs of the times. And so I'm going to sort of wrap up two things. Because Jesus says, I send you as lamb among wolves. I send you as lamb among wolves. And he says, so even when you go into houses, look for the man of peace. And if they receive you, leave your peace there. If they don't, then just walk away. He says, you have to have discernment because it's not just, you cannot just judge things on the outward. Because some people are going to say, yeah, yeah, that's nice. That guy is so good. But you know, God is not interested in goodness. Because God redefined goodness. He says, no man is good. There's no good person. Only my father in heaven is good. Now, now we think like, oh, yo, I'm a good person. I didn't kill a lot of people. I didn't murder. I didn't, I didn't run into a mosque and shoot a lot of people in New Zealand. So that's a bad person. But I'm a good person. Sorry. According to God's definition, there's no good person. Because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And that's why we need Jesus. That's why we need Christ. But in Matthew 24, he sort of gives us a couple of signs of the end times. And this is sort of more a sermon to immunize or to inoculate us, to put your immune system up. Because as Christians, a lot of young people, a lot of you, you we sometimes get deceived because we don't know that we got deceived. <laughs> and that's why I want to encourage you, please leave the YouTube clips Leave the, watch all the sermons. If you don't know the fruit of those people, then please just stick to your Bible to start with. Read more your Bible than what, that you watch sermons online. Amen? Stay away from that stuff because it's like, hey, there's great stuff. But stop reading the books if you, you must read more your Bible than what you read Christian books. Because the Christian book is in any case just the interpretation, hopefully, of the Bible. <laughs> yeah? But some of those Christian books, you look at the first chapter and they put a scripture right on top, and then you don't find a scripture, you know, find a scripture and get a free book inside the chapter, you know, just on the top of the chapter, and then they put their interpretation, because man is fallible, but God is not, so he says, the signs, is, he says, and then many will be offended, will betray one another, and will hate one another, this is in the last days, before Jesus comes back, we are in the last of the last days, then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many, and because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold, but he who endures to the end shall be saved. What a promise. But he says there's a couple of things. There's, there's a couple of things that will happen in their last days. And he says many people will be offended. Many people will be offended. You'll see a lot of offense. And we spoke about that in the first couple of weeks, that there's a culture of individualism. There's a culture of, hey, people are so hard in their hearts. And that's what he says also there's that, that the love of many will grow cold. You think like, why, how could somebody just storm into a place and kill people for the sake of what they believe truth, what is truth? Now, we had a couple of theologians here the other day, and they said they love the church, and it's amazing. They're doing a study on why can so young, such a lot of young people still respond to the gospel. But the one thing they didn't like about this sermon, now I was preaching, they told me that is because I said truth is absolute. And I thought like, that's interesting. But truth is truth. It doesn't change. But see, everybody that got deceived, they used truth. But the only thing that differs between the Christian and a lot of radical people out there is the Christian brings the truth in love. Because they want change. They want the person to change. The motivation is love. 
although the truth will set us free and the truth will make us miserable, feel miserable sometimes, <laughs> but the truth is truth. The other truths that people are deceived about is always in hatred, is always to annihilate or take away people or destroy them. And that's why as Christians, we don't hate Muslims, we love Muslims. We don't hate people that are in sin, we love them. But we don't compromise on the truth. And that's a challenge for a lot of people is to bring the truth in love. Okay, so, so it says many will be offended, many will be deceived, and the spirit of the age will be a lawless spirit. What is lawlessness? Lawless means each one take a right unto themselves. I'm in control. I'm not going to submit. I'm not going to be accountable. I'm, I'm going to take the right unto myself. I become Lord. And where did this start? We looked in the morning in Isaiah 14, right at the beginning, in the throne of heaven. That's where deception started. And it started with Lucifer, with Satan. And listen to what the scripture says. For you, Satan, have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the furthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like God, like the most high. That's what Satan said. And so deception starts with pride. And the ugly thing, and that's why people had theology and out of theology in Stellenbosch, apartheid was born. Because there was, I'm going to exalt myself. And I'm even going to use scripture. Whew, getting very quiet in here. But see, deception, if you walk up to any person today and you say, are you deceived? They're going to say, no, I'm not. You don't know when you're deceived. Did you know that? And you don't wake up one morning and say, I'm going to get deceived. <laughs> deceive me, deceive me, deceive me. You don't, you don't do that. But God has is, God is built into your life a way of living as a Christian, not to get offended and not to get deceived. But, but it's so important that we know pride is the root of deception and offense. And pride is such an ugly thing. And unfortunately, this town of ours is so full of it. What school did you go to? What car do you drive? What are you studying? What side of the road are you living? And we can go on and on. It's all about status. And I feel better about myself if I can exalt myself above others. But the worst pride is if I exalt myself above God. And that's where Satan fell. And he was the worship angel. He saw God. And yet he wanted worship. He wanted to be like God. So what is deception is to believe what is false or invalid as if it is true and valid. You really believe it's true. The Pharisees and the Sadducees believed like, whoa, we need to, we need to kill this Jesus. <laughs> Paul did the same. Saul, on the road of Damascus, he encountered God. When he realized like, whoa, I'm actually thinking I'm doing God a favor by killing his people. <laughs> sure. So, so don't ever think that you cannot get deceived. Sure. Deceived means like you're seeing something that you think is the truth, but it's not the truth. Pastor James said it this morning so beautifully. It's like when, when you take out a piece of big rock and you carve it out and you put on the Jesus and you go every morning and bow before the, that thing. Are you worshiping Jesus? No. But for you, you may be worshiping because it's a Jesus of your own making. 
So, so that's why when Jesus sent out these 70, he says, look here, I send you like lambs among wolves. Because <laughs> the wolves are a picture of false prophets, false teachers, people that will come in to destroy the truth. And especially your innocence. That's why he says, I send you like a lamb. I send you like a lamb among wolves. But isn't it a beautiful picture? God says, I'm going to be with you. If you just stay with me and follow me, you're going to make it. Amen. Isn't it what an amazing thing? But it's not a comfortable picture to send a couple of lambs among wolves. Because those lambs in themselves cannot protect themselves against the pack of wolves. Sure. So there's a lot of warnings of deception. We read these scriptures in the morning services, 2 Timothy 3 verse 12. It says, yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Ooh, that's not one we like to quote, eh? Write it on your wall. Oh, I desire to live godly in Jesus. But I don't like the rest of the verse. I don't like that suffering persecution part. Do you know why most people get offended? It's because of the wrong expectation. Do you know why in the charismatic church especially, the front door and the back door of the charismatic church is just as wide and as big? Is because sometimes we don't tell people what they can expect of God and what God expects of them. We tell them you're just so beautiful, you're just so amazing, and God is just going to give you and bless you, and you're going to be happy ever after. But because of the wrong expectation, but isn't it like that in our relationships as well? We're going to get to that. Second Thessalonians 2, let no one deceive you by any means. So there are many means. For that day will not come unless the falling away comes first, and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition. He says, don't get deceived. Now this the morning service, we dealt with all the different kinds of deception. We looked at the deception of sin and all that stuff. I'm going to just give you some scripture. But the biggest part of deception, that thing where you start to believe you are really okay, but you are not, is called self-deception. And James talks about this in James chapter 1, verse 22. It's getting very quiet in here. Is this, a, is this like a chosen frozen church? Or why are you so quiet? Everybody's like, oh, don't take a breath. This is like tough stuff. No, but we're just talking through it. I mean, there's good news. In James 1, 22, it says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man observing his natural face in the mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. Your own comfort, continual disobedience, selfishness, and especially apathy, your indifference toward others. It's just like, hey. So, so the Bible says you can sit here on a Sunday night, you can come into church, and you can go out and nothing will change in your life because you've been hearing the word, but you're not a doer of the word. So I want to encourage you, you're all students, come with your notebooks whenever you come. Come with your notebooks, come with your pen, come with your cell phone, but not to look at Facebook and Instagram and all that stuff, okay? Come, write it down. Then afterwards, you go home and you say, Lord, what does that mean to me? And how do I become a doer of the word? Because I want to be an obedient Christian. I want to live out. Because the most amazing thing is, you know, I always laugh after a Sunday service. Then sometimes I will connect with some people in the week or just bump into them in the, in the street. And that's what's so beautiful about the word and the Holy Spirit. Then this one guy would come up and say, oh, pastor, that was so great, you know, what you preached on this. And then I think like, I didn't preach on that, you know. I maybe mentioned that, but, but, but you sort of missed the whole point, you know. But then 
then I will go and talk to somebody else and say, oh, you, you, that, that thing that you said about that, then there's one phrase that I didn't even focus on. But see, even as we're sitting here, the Holy Spirit is the teacher. So as we're highlighting things, he's highlighting things to you personally that you must be obedient to. So each one of us, it's amazing if we had time to go around and say, okay, let's start here in front. Let's start with Pierre and then Berno. Let's, let's go to each one of you and ask like, what did God tell you to do? It will probably be something different for each one of you at the end of the sermon because the Holy Spirit will highlight certain things to you. And, and then maybe it's a step of obedience to go and pray for somebody. Maybe it's like, well, I, I need to go and bring that to the Lord. Or maybe, sure, you know, I, I need to focus on that. But that's how God works. That's how the true church works. Amen? Thank you for your enthusiasm. There's some people that's enthusiastically inspired here, but other people are just like, hello. Okay. Amen? This means I agree. Thank you for that enthusiasm. Um, so self-deceived is a very, very tough one because you, you hear the word, it goes into this ear and it goes out of that ear. But there's no doing. And that's why Jesus said, hey, wake up. Don't tell me you love me. Do as I say. Because it's an obedient lifestyle. And God can take you just as far as your last step of obedience. He cannot take you further. He'll wait for you. He'll be very patient for you and me, and he'll just say, hey, I can't take you in the next season unless you've learned this one thing. Sometimes it's something small, sometimes it's big. And so that's why get into the habit of writing stuff down. Get into the habit of going to your friends and say, hey, the Lord spoke this to me, and you know what, will you please hold me accountable? Because I want to be obedient. I don't want to just be over here because I don't want to get self-deceived. Sure, getting very, very quiet here. There's a lot of other deceptions. You can take out your camera and take all that scriptures down. I'm not going to be dealt with some of them in the morning service. But when you come around with bad company, sure, the Bible says when your heart, your emotions, your heart is deceitful <laughs> above all things. Sorry, ladies, don't trust your emotions. That's what it says. Sorry, guys. We as Christians cannot live out of our emotions because the Bible says your heart is deceitful. If you're going to look at circumstances and what you feel and what you don't feel, you're going to get deceived. Because you can't trust yourself. Look at yourself, take that finger, look, point at yourself and say, don't trust him, don't trust her. You know, you, you, not, not the person behind you, this one. Okay, take the finger, take the finger, point it at yourself. Say, don't trust him. <laughs> because hey your heart is deceitful then distractions the cares of the world thinking you are wise when you're not other people can deceive you false prophets and teachers there's a lot of people that will come across your path that are not there to to take you to god they're there to take you away sometimes just friendships Sometimes that romantic relationship, I hear it so many times, people say, oh, yeah, I, I love this girl, she doesn't love God, but do you know what? One day she will love God. Oops, stay away, don't be unequally yoked with unbelievers, that's what the Bible says. Probably the two things why people backslide is because of the wrong friends and the wrong romantic relationships. You'll always go down to the one who is the least spiritual. You always compromise onto that level. Sure. No, but you know what? We, we're not sleeping together. We're just carfuffling together. What is carfuffle in English? 
kerfuffle, okay? At least we're not sleeping together. We're better than that other group because she sleeps over there every day, you know? You're deceived, my golly. He's going to tell you how much he loves you, but he doesn't love you. He lusts you. Sorry. But that's true. No ring. No, no, no. Okay. No other thing. Okay. No ring, no other thing. Okay, so tell that guy. When he says, hey, let's just sleep together, you say, no ring, no other thing. My pastor said it. Okay. So you all know what I'm talking about. Okay. You have my permission to use those words. Okay. Can I get an amen in the place? Okay. So, but it, it's so easy, you know, are we, are we sort of like, oh, I want to go for full. And you know, I'm not going to use this topic anymore. So, but let's go on right along. Okay. You know what I'm talking about. So, so this, this deception is, is rife. And remember, deception is in the church. It's not out there. The world is already veiled. So if they don't know Jesus, they are veiled. They can't see. But the devil wants, wants you to sort of come to that place where you stop growing. You stop learning. You stop being accountable. You stop walking in relationships. And, and so that's why you and I need healthy relationships. And we need to position ourselves into healthy relationships. And that's the tough part. But I want to read some scriptures that we read, and especially when it comes to offense. Listen to this in Ephesians 4, verse 14 to 16. He says that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. He says, don't be like a boat that is thrown this side and that side. You, you're being you're tossed to and fro. One moment you're there, one moment you're there. Then you're there, then you're going there. He says, focus. Every wind of doctrine will come through. So we, we see a lot of people running off to this thing. And now, oh, it's not there. Now we run off to that thing. And then we run off to that thing. Instead, instead then just run to Jesus, okay? Let your main thing be your main thing. But now he goes on and he says, but speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, that is Christ. And I think that is so difficult for some people because the more type of radical Christian, yes, speak the truth. And then the more relational, pastoral Christian, just, just love people, just, just love them into the kingdom. But you need to do both. And you need both of them in your life, love and truth working together. And that's why it says, when you speak the truth, speak it in love. Because the motivation is to restore somebody. The motivation is to bring them back. Now, how many of you would consider yourself to be prophetic like black and white people? There's a right and there's a wrong in your life. Raise your hand. Raise your hand very high, okay? No compromise. We're going to change the world for Jesus, okay? Raise your hand, okay? Okay, it's not a sinner. How many of you are relational? You just like, you just want, you want everybody to be happy. You want everybody to have a nice time in life. Just raise your hand. Okay. What are the rest of you? Just like halfway. You, you're compromising halfway. Okay. But, but it, it is so beautiful to, to see how different of us respond in different ways, you know. So, so when, we, when we speak truth, then yeah, yeah, we go for it. And, and when you speak love, oh, he loves me, he loves me, oh, he loves me. Then, but, but it's so amazing. It's not the one or, or the other. It's, it's both. And, and you need both in your love, in your life. 
and your, and your love. From whom the whole body, listen to this, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies. The whole body comes together because every joint supplies something to the body. According to the effective working by which every part does its share, you supply something. You, in your different gifting, you supply something and you must do your part to share in the healthy life of the church. And then when everyone brings their part, supplies their part, and does their share in serving, coming together, bring your gifting, the love people, the truth people, when we all come together, it causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. If your body is healthy, you know, when something goes wrong, it will heal itself because the whole body works together to get that virus out. You have a healthy immune system, you'll be healthy as a person. But as the church, it works exactly the same. Just like your body works, so we work together. So a lot of people are sitting on the sideline, they're spectators, they don't bring their share, they don't bring their part, and so the whole body cannot grow. And so think of that in your small group. Think of that in us coming together. We're not just having a nice time here and listening to the generator going on and looking, oh, hope, hope, I love the hope. No, no, the joy, the joy. Jesus. You know? It's the different names, and it's so beautiful, it's so amazing. And I feel so good about myself. If you, don't li if you don't know that you've come here because every joint supplies, every joint does its part, its share, because we want to grow together, then it's not about me. Because I realize I'm just a part of this body. And I've realized over all the years that the most important parts of your body are the unseen parts. It's not the people that stand up here. It's the people that close their door and pray in the inner room. It's the people that do the setup of the hope and the joy and the Jesus. We, we can't set up Jesus, but you know what I mean, the Jesus there, okay? And, and there's some people that you never see, you've never heard about them, but your lungs and your liver and your heart, the unseen parts are the most important ones in the body. And sometimes what we make the mistake is we highlight and we celebrate the seen parts. Oh, you've got a beautiful nose. That is a declack nose. I can see that. Beautiful. Those ears out of this world. They're amazing. They're just, whew, your hairdo, crazy. I want to tell you, you can lose your nose. And you can lose your ear, but you can't lose your heart. And sometimes we celebrate the wrong stuff. Sometimes we celebrate the wrong people, but we also celebrate the wrong stuff in our own lives and other people's lives. So learn to celebrate not the breakthroughs or the anointings, but the character of people. It's when you're not seen. It's when you walk past that piece of paper and you tell, tell it up, pick it up. You tell that piece of paper, be gone into the dustbin. <laughs> Let the servants pick it up. I'm too high and mighty. Be gone, paper. Vanish, plastic. Get behind me. I'm focused. I'm spiritual. 
And that's why the Lord says what is in secret will be shouted from the rooftops one day. Because God celebrates the secret parts of our heart. And so what happens is through our lives in this relationship part, we are set up for offense. Listen to this in Hebrews 10 verse 24. He says, let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together. So don't skip church, don't skip small group, as is the manner of some. Because you realize how spiritual and how important it is for you to get together with other believers. Because you're bringing your part, you're sharing, and if you're not there, they miss out. But exhorting one another, building each other up, exhorting, encouraging each other, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. See, so in the last days, as we see all these deception, as we see offense, as we see the stuff increasing, get yourself together. Know the working of the body. And so there's a couple of words there. The first one is consider. Consider means to discover and behold one another you need to discover the gifts that God has placed in other people around you. You need to, there's something God wants to reveal through your small group that you won't be able to get just with you and God being alone. There's something when we come together as a church that God wants you to discover to get together about Him. And we behold together because there's just something different in the corporate worship. When we get together, we discover who God is and we behold Him. But it's the same with the friends around you. And that's why it says, the writer here to the Hebrews says, consider one another. Don't forsake coming together because you know how important it is for the body to work together. And you, you cannot do it on your own. You cannot just be an individual Christian. You cannot just be a silent Christian. You cannot just hang around in the kingdom of God. <laughs> and so there's two words. It says, consider means to discover and behold. But then there's another one, stir each other up or provoke one another, some of the translation says. And that word for provoke is to urge, to prick to irritate, to excite, or to make keen. <clears throat> How many of you have gone to the doctor, and then the doctor says, I must take a blood sample, and then they prick your finger? How many of you have done that? It feels like you're going to die a thousand deaths. But it's just like a small bit of, and then you're like, oh, blood, I'm, I'm bleeding to death. Help. In your, in your head, you don't do that in front of the doctor. Okay, some of us do, but, but then there's, okay. But so, why is it so tense? Because when you prick that finger, it is very sensitive. It's just a little bit of blood, but it feels like you're going to die. <laughs> so not just are we there to consider one another and celebrate one another and encourage one another, but we're also there to touch the sensitive parts in other people's lives. To such a place where sometimes you're going to get irritated with the people around you. Sometimes you're going to be irritated with the way they do things because they're different than you. And that's where you already begin to discover God. Because then love becomes a choice, not a feeling. Because then the truth begins to work itself out in love. You learn to love. A lot of people think that a love is just like a deposit from heaven. One day I'm going to wake up and then I'm going to love. And there's a part of that that's true. You see that girl, whoa, you fall in love. You're very romantically connected. And then a couple of months down the line, suddenly she's irritating you. 
Suddenly she's not so cool and so cute anymore. Because what has just happened? You've considered, you've beheld, and now you're irritating. Some stuff that I just don't like about her. I told you the story of, of one of my best friends. He's in America now. We were in the, standing in the kitchen one day. His name is Rainier. And so we were second year going to the farm. And now he's standing there. And, and he walks into the kitchen and he says, that Erica girl, she irritates the life out of me. I cannot believe how she's ever going to get a husband. I can't believe that anybody can marry a girl like that because she just frustrates me. And she just, she just I don't know what's in. Then she went on and on and on. I was just standing there. I think like, this is a weird conversation. <laughs> this is more than just the irritation. Six months later, they got married. So never say never. Never say no, no. Because something beautiful, it's the opposite that attract many times. <laughs> if you think of Peter and Eva. Peter is a chartered accountant, he's everything, the books really balance. But with Eva in his life, the books never balance. Because she's like a flower child. Amazing. I look at them sometimes and I think like, this is not supposed to work. But it's working. It's working because they're a winning team together. And that's what even marriage should be. But marriage can also be the most destructive thing in your life when there's no agreement. You don't allow somebody else to form you and to shape you. And that's why Scripture says, hey, learn, learn to love, learn to provoke, learn to stir. But always first consider, behold. But then you have to have both parts, love and truth working together. Love and truth working together. And that's how we shape each other. That's how we grow together. That's how we learn to love each other. Can I get an amen? <laughs> sure. And so, because of our individualistic society, because of the selfish, selfishness of you and I, we're just focusing on all our needs. And we have lost the ability to consider each other. We've lost the ability to live together with other people and realize like you, I am worse off if I don't have that person in my life, that brother, that sister. I'm, I'm worse off. But what begins to happen is not just are you empty, but the devil also sets you up for offense. And that is where that innocent part is stolen. And that's why Jesus, when he sends out these 70, he says, look, you are really like lambs among wolves. But I'm going to protect that innocence. I'm gonna, and, and you need to learn how to discern that when you go into a home, if they reject you, if they break you down, if they don't receive you, then just move on. Find a house of peace. Because you need to protect your innocence. You need to learn to be received and to be blessed. You need to have discernment in relationships. And when you find that man of peace, if you find that woman of peace, then what happens is, hey, stay there. Live there because there's a celebration and an honoring culture. Now, in the West, we haven't got an honoring culture. 
We don't know how to celebrate each other. We flatter each other because we want to get something out of somebody. I'm going to tell you good stuff about you because you know what? I actually want to get control over you or manipulate you or use you for my own gain. And that's why the Bible says consider each other, provoke each other, learn this relationship thing. But the word for offense is a, is a very interesting word, is to set a trap. Is the devil sets us a trap to get hurt in relationships and many times because of the wrong expectation. So some people go into marriage and they think like, oh, this is going to solve all my problems. I'm going to be healed and I'm going to be a whole person because this other person is going to make me whole. And now I have this list of 10 things of what I want in a wife. And that's going to be amazing because, you know, I'm perfect. And I want a perfect wife. And there's my 10 list of things. Wake up, baby, wake up. You'll quickly find that the most imperfect one in that relationship is you. <laughs> that one. No. <laughs> oh. Because that person is going to tell you some of the blind spots in your life that you don't like. Oh, all the married people are just looking at each other and say, preach it, pastor, preach it, pastor. Uh, Stefan, where is, where is the May family? But so, so yeah, it's, it's in that place where we, where we, where we live and we, where, we, where we consider one another. But one of the signs of the times will be offense. And offense is the devil will set you a trap to be isolated, to be individual, to just go on in your own life. And that's what with our culture, you know, we have lots of old age homes around here. And I remember living there in Onapapagaiburg. It's a place here in town on the other side. And there was an old woman that walked out every morning. So I drove by to work when I was working in Somerset West. And one day I stopped. I said, Um, but what's, why are you walk, walking out, standing on the street corner every, every morning? He said, do you know what? Because my son told me that he'll come and visit me. And I'm waiting for him every morning. He said, he told me that he'll come and visit me. 7.30 in the morning. It was about 14 years ago, and every morning I'm still waiting for him to come and visit me. Son just dumped his father into the old age home. And I realized that is such a product of our society. There's no honor. There's no celebration. We don't have a Christian culture. We, we just don't in the West. We've got an individualistic, postmodern, humanistic culture. And we need deliverance from that, from a selfishness, a deep-rooted selfishness. And so, so now that same offense comes in with God. And this is what I want to focus on to end this sermon tonight. Is the other day I was listening to Danny Suzette Hutton's testimony. She's a, she was the main intercessor for Reinhard Bonke for many years. They went into Africa, prayed, millions of people got saved. And then she went in to be an evangelist herself, started to preach. And then one day she had a problem in her leg, in her hip. And she um, had to go for operation. Not a, big, not a big thing. But she went, obviously, for the scans. I don't know all the details. but So she went in for the operation, and the doctor made a big, big mistake. When she came out of the operation, she could not walk. She was lame. And had to be confined to a wheelchair. 
And then through the test and all that stuff, they just said, there's no way you're going to walk ever again. And then the people said to her, let's sue that doctor. Let's take him apart. And as she was praying, the Lord said, no, you need to forgive that man. Imagine you wake up in, waking up tomorrow morning and you can't walk anymore because of a mistake a doctor made. Then suddenly, things begin to change. How real is God in your life? And then she said she went through depression. She went through like, she said, God, why don't you heal me? Because you can heal me. And she started to speak the word over her leg. And she just said, hear the word of the Lord. And she spoke it and she spoke it and she didn't get healed. And then she had to deal with a deep sense of offense. Offense with God. Offense with people around her. Why? Because now suddenly the praise is not answered in the way that she thought. And a year and a half went by. Around about a year in, in this story, then one day she just decided, well, even though I can't walk, do you know what's going to start to happen? I'm going to still believe God in his word, so I'm going to still keep on preaching. So she got onto a plane with a wheelchair, went to, I think, Papua New Guinea, to other places, and she started to preach. She said, there's a healer, and his name is Jesus. On a wheelchair, on the stage, up and down, praying for the sick. And people stood up from their wheelchairs, praying for the lame. People stood up, but she was confined to a wheelchair. She said, because my experience is something else, it doesn't change anything about the word of God. I'm not going to get offended with God for a year and a half. And then after a year and a half in Finland, one day, she stood up from the wheelchair, started walking. She just spoke to that leg every day and said, hear the word of the Lord. But whether he heals me or whether he doesn't, I will worship him. I will, nothing has changed concerning my calling. But see, a lot of us, we change our lifestyle around those things, those disappointments, those discouragements, those prayers that were not answered. And then we said, let me change my whole theology. Because you know what? I prayed for somebody that was sick. They didn't get healed. And therefore, it means the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Holy Spirit had passed away. So we get deceived because we form our theology around our experience and not around the word of God. And so Daniel stood up and he says, well, to the king, he said, well, king, do you know what? My God will deliver us. But even if he doesn't deliver me, <laughs> we'll still praise him. And then we were thrown into the fiery furnace. Joseph, at the end of his life, his own brothers stood before him. Those own brothers that wanted to kill him and throw him into the dungeon. He went through Potiphar's house. He went. He didn't compromise. He just kept on with the word of God. He kept the gifting of God. He interpreted the dreams. Those guys went out of the prison and they forgot him. Imagine you praying for somebody. They get healed and then they just forget you when they walk out. Offended. John the Baptist. The one moment he says, Jesus, you are great. You're awesome. The next moment he ends up in prison. Then he sends his own disciples to Jesus and he says, but are you really the Messiah? And then Jesus says, blessed is he who is not offended because of me. But there's no one greater than John the Baptist. But even you are greater when you believe and you do the things because you haven't seen. You see, you're going to, as a Christian, be set up with offense. And the purpose of that offense is for you to step out of relationship with God and relationship with other people. To never enjoy the fullness and the fruit of the body of Christ working together. 
But more than that, it will steal your innocence and then your heart will begin to grow cold like we see in the world. And they will hate one another and they will deliver one another up because that's the signs of the end time is offense and deception. He's not talking outside the church. He's talking inside the church. And that's why God wants us to be quick to forgive. That's why God wants you to bring those offenses to him. And that's why God wants you to deal with offense in your life with other people. Because sometimes I'm going to say stuff that I'm completely off the wall and I'm just a human. I'm just a pastor. You maybe think pastors are perfect. Sorry. You'll find them maybe in another continent. In Iceland somewhere. Okay. But just as I'm a human, so you are a human. And when you and I commit ourselves to relationship, to real biblical relationship, then the whole body grows together. And it starts in your small group. It starts right here. Before you start to try and unite all the churches in Stellenbosch and all the churches in South Africa and all the churches in the world, just start in your small group. Don't try to do something that you're not already doing in your immediate environment. Otherwise, you're deceived. You'll fall into pride because you think like, I have the truth. But there's no love in which I live out that truth. And that's why God will set you up. He'll set you up to get offended with your best friends. He'll set you up to test in your heart. Because you know what? Character is only displayed in tough times. It's not formed in tough times. And God will wait for your character. And that's why he says, stop. Let every wind blow you this way and that way. Stop getting offense. There's some of you in this room, you get so offended with every little thing and then you just run off and you isolate yourself because, hey, you've been hurt and it started with your family. And I've got a lot of respect for that because, hey, that's why the church is here. We're a hospital. We're a hospital for the broken. But I wanna plead with you for your own sake. Commit yourself to relationship. Commit yourself with a hunger to follow God, with a passion to follow God, not to be perfect, but to live out that innocence, that beauty of worship in your heart. And it's going to be a challenge. The moment when you say yes, the moment when you get baptized, the moment when you say yes to Jesus, ooh, all hell breaks loose. <laughs> and then you have to say, hey, Lord, I've put my hand to the plow. I'm not going to look back. But because of an entitlement consumer generation, we see in churches like ours, people just go in and out, but they... Lose the value of real covenant relationships. Consider one another. Provoke one another. Encourage one another. Challenge one another. And you're going to need to work through that and keep your heart pure. You know, somebody asked me the other day and says, but you as a pastor, you obviously deal a lot with people's issues. I say, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. People think they're so good and they look, but oh, we're a bunch of broken people. If I have to tell you all the stories, you'll probably think like, whoa. But every day I just go back to God and I say, God, I thank you. It's not my problem. It's your problem. I must just love people. You said you build the church. So I get a lot of people that come and say, oh, you must teach more this and you must do more that and you must react more to that. And I say, well, why do you talk to me? Talk to God. It's his church. It's not mine. As if I'm in charge here. Makes life so easy. Hallelujah. 
But the one thing I must do as a shepherd is to make sure my heart is pure. Because some of you offend me. You think the pastor can't get offended? Oh, some of you I want to kill. Regularly. But then I go jog in the mountains. I sweat all my killing stuff out. And when I come back, I'm tired. You know, Japanese drove over Chinese food. Have you heard that, that story, what the Japanese said when he drove over the Chinese food? Have you heard it? He said, I'm tired. Okay, but in any case, so. So what is real accountability? Real accountability is when you and I are not checking up on each other for the stuff we've done wrong. But we're provoking one another. We're stirring each other up. We're encouraging each other. We're celebrating each other. Will you stand with me tonight? Take out your cell phone. And I want you to throw the last slide on there. We spoke about this in the, in the morning session. And I don't have the time at all to go through it. Go and listen to the sermon. It's on Facebook. But just some scriptural stuff. Take a photo of that or go onto the Facebook page, Shofar Stellenbosch Facebook page. All the scriptures are on there. It's just some, some basic principles. How do I stay out of deception and offense? And I'm not going to repeat them again. We spoke through all of them. Is where you and I have to humble ourselves. We have to look to Jesus. We have to judge ourselves. We have to continue growing. We have to test the spirits. Look at the fruit of our own lives and other people's lives. Get skilled in the word. Serve others. Generously give. Walk in accountability and disciple other people. We'll keep you safe. Because your main thing is your main thing. Thank you for listening. Remember that our sermon audio and videos are also available on Shofar TV. Go to www.shofaronline.tv to download and share.